The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code. Go to your next order at fansets.com just for discovering Trek listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character. Connections. Conclusions. And a new captain. Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery took us literally where no Star Trek show has gone before. Last week, Osira took Discovery over and headed to Federation HQ to propose peace. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, What happens in this week's season finale as the crew fight back to take the ship and the landing party fight to survive in the Verubin Nebula? Welcome aboard, everyone. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Let's fly. Welcome one and all to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Universe companion presented by Fansets. Last week we saw Burnham, Book, and the crew plan on a way to take back the ship while Osira met with Admiral Vance with a shocking proposal. This week the season wraps up with stories about honor, heroism, and humanity. As always, this is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the Season 3 finale of Star Trek Discovery, entitled That Hope Is You, Part 2. And as the season wraps up, there is just so much to talk about, so let's get started. First of all, you know, I gotta be honest, this may be my favorite time of the show. We love to give each other a hard time over on Trek Geeks, and even here on Discovering Trek every once in a while... And we always have fun doing it, but this week's episode of, Disco- of Star Trek Discovery really showed me just how important this guy is to me. I couldn't be here without him, and I want to thank him right up front for a magnificent season here on Discovering Trek. As always, he is my very best friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith, and Bill, I'm not just sucking up, buddy. I mean it. Congratulations. I don't want money. What do you need? I need nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting you to introduce somebody else. Um, uh, but thank you very much for that warm introduction. Uh, rest assured, it will never be like that on Trek Geeks. Never. Um, and, and that's really the way it should be. Looking forward to talking about this season finale. There's a lot to digest here. And uh, we have some company. We do have some company. Uh, this hasn't happened in a while. We're very excited to welcome back, back both of our co-hosts, Sarah from Trek Rewind and Casey Shasky, great to have you both. Sarah, how you doing? I'm great. I'm so glad to be here. We're so glad to have you back. It's oh. it's been a long time since we've all been here to talk Star Trek. And Casey, uh, hi. Hey, how are you? Great. Good to see oh. you. Okay. Fine. <laughs> Actually, um, I, got, I gotta I gotta say it is really great to be here with all of us uh, together again. It started with Lower Decks earlier this year. We had such a blast, uh, and this season of Discovery has been so great. And I gotta say, guys, we are so excited. Uh, Sarah and Casey are going to be uh, running the show when Discovering Trek Enterprise premiere in February. And it's going to be an absolute blast. Can't wait. Yeah. Well, oh, did you not read the memo? <laughs> That's what you get for missing important staff meetings. You exactly. just sent me that TPS report again. Yes, I will absolutely do that. So we're going to have a great time talking the finale. But before we do that, uh, Bill, we always want to hear from our listeners about their thoughts on everything Discovery. So how can they get in touch with us for their thoughts on That Hope Is You? Part two. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, there are a variety of ways you can let us know what you thought about this season ending episode of Star Trek Discovery. Of course, you can go to trekgeeks.com slash contact and find a bunch of ways to get us your thoughts. And on Twitter and or Facebook, all you have to do is search for Discovering Trek. We, of course, welcome all of your questions and comments. Don't forget, you can leave us a voicemail by visiting our website at trekgeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button. Please do remember, though, that any comments you may leave us could be used in a future episode of Discovering Trek. Danward. D- okay. Thanks, Bill. Black Alert. Black Alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched episode 13, the season finale of Star Trek Discovery Season 3, stop listening right now, head on over to CBS All Access or wherever you watch Discovery, watch the latest episode, then head back on over to Discovering Trek. 
Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for That Hope Is You, Part 2. Episode 313 of Star Trek Discovery, That Hope Is You, Part 2, is written by Michelle Paradise and directed by Olatunde Osunsanmi. As the Emerald Chain tightens its grip and the mystery of the burn is finally solved, Burnham and the crew have one last chance to save themselves and the Federation. Originally released on January 7th, 2021, it is the 13th and the season finale of Star Trek Discovery's third season. Trainees, to the briefing room. Gentlemen and the lovely Sarah, as we gather in the briefing room to start our discussion on this week's uh, season finale, let's get our high-level thoughts, as we always do, a thumbs up and a thumb or a thumbs down, and why. Sarah, what did you think of the finale? Oh, it was great. Two thumbs up, two big toes up. I'm doing it. Toes. Stretching. Stretching those digits. <laughs> <laughs> Casey, I'm afraid to ask, but what did you think? <laughs> wow. Uh, two thumbs up. A, a really nice, well-done finale for season three. Very good job all around. Dug it. Bill? I'm going to say two thumbs up. A, a very solid season-ending episode. A very Star Trek season-ending episode, or a very Star Trek episode in general. A couple of issues that I think it has. It's, it's not a perfect episode, but I think it's light years ahead of last season's finale. Yeah, uh, you could not have said it any better, my friend. I gave it two thumbs up as well. I did think there were some some head-scratching moments that I'm sure we are going to discuss uh, during this wonderful briefing room discussion. Everyone's yelling at me while they're muted right now. I just want everyone to know that right now, so obviously they may not agree with me. But anyway, we're going to get right into it. I'm really looking forward to it. First of all, let's just... Let's just do it in chunks, I guess, is the best way. Let's talk about the burn to start right off things. We finally got the definitive reason for the burn, Bill. Uh, So let's start with you. Uh, Of course, um, uh, very emotional to see what the cause of the burn was, even in the flashback. Um, We talked about how when we got the original idea of what the burn could have been, that we were a little skeptical of whether it was going to work or not. But after seeing the scenes... Uh, play out as to what did cause the burn with the death of his mom. What did you think? Well, I wasn't skeptical as to whether or not it would work. I thought that the payoff for the buildup all season long didn't match the excitement and the mystery. Now, seeing everything come to its fruition here in this episode, I have to say it's an incredibly moving and poignant and, and very realistic cause for what could have caused the burn. And to see the pain caused to Sukal, which I'm going to go into greater detail later. Um, certainly it's easy to see why it had the effect it did. And I, I really love the resolution of the story. I, I like that there wasn't a big villain at the end of the burn. Yes, uh, I, I agree with that. And we've always talked about how there always seems to be this big villain. And we did kind of get a big villain with Osira, and we'll get into her later on. But uh, Casey, what were your thoughts on uh, the whole wrap up of the burn and Sukal? I thought that was uh, a very unexpected way to have the burn happen, and I was very pleased by it that it wasn't, you know, like you said, it was really personal and very deep and meaningful, and it wasn't just a technical type thing. It was like this was driven by pure emotion, and the writing staff, way to go. That That was very much out of the blue for me. I was not anticipating that to be the resolution. I also thought, Sarah, that it was interesting with um, watching in those hollow images of the actual moment where the burn took place uh, with Sukal and, and his mom. I found that the connection aspect of this episode really stood out, especially with Saru and Sukal once uh, the true form of Saru was shown to Sukal. What do you think of that? I I'm glad you brought that up actually because it was the storyline before this episode was it wasn't doing it for me like it was it was what it was and I was excited to see Doug Jones as Doug Jones that was the only thing I was taking out of it the way that they did this made this the best part of the episode in some ways in my opinion and it really strengthened the bond that they were trying to push between Sukal and um, Saru, and they did it beautifully. And the acting was phenomenal. It was such a good scene. And all of those scenes were great. 
I really like the way that they actually made the return to the Saru that we know kind of like a big reveal. You know, that you saw Culber and and then you you saw Adira and 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 it was it was interesting to me. Of course, when it was like a big camera turn, if I remember correctly, and then he was just standing there in, in his full Kelpian uh, uh, way, and I, th- I thought that really worked. And I also think that the the reaction. Uh, from Sukal, uh, Bill, I'll bring it to you. Uh, was was equally as um, impressive when that when that moment happened. It really was. It was sort of that that, that dawning of, of realizing that you know there are still people like me. There that there is somebody like me in the universe. You know, for 125 years or so, Sukal has been alone, growing up since childhood among hollows who have been intermittently just sort of winking in and out on him. And then all of a sudden to have another Kelpian there when all of the other Kelpians in his life died probably before his eyes is, is pretty powerful. Uh, it, it tells him that he really is outside and he, there's a chance to go home. We're going to be talking about connection a lot on this episode because that really is at the heart of, of what this finale meant, at least for me. And I thought that the connection that Doug Jones made uh, with Sukal in his human form was really something... Um, that struck a chord with me all through the time that he was talking to try to get Sukal to not be afraid of the outside and to talk about the fact that he would never be alone again. And the only reason the Federation took so long is because they had lost the ability to travel at speed so that they could get there to rescue him. I thought that that was incredibly um, emotional, Casey, at least in, in, in telling it to someone who might not have understood what was going on because Sukal had been alone for so long. I thought that really stood out to me. Oh, absolutely. When you're, when you're watching those scenes and you're looking at Doug Jones' face and the ex- expressions going on with his eyes and his eyebrows, and there's this parental sibling care, concern, love that is just emanating from Jones in these scenes. And you're like, you know, th- this is... Uh, someone bringing you in and swaddling you and saying, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to protect you. And here's what really happened, but I'm going to tell it to you in a way that hopefully you understand and that you realize there's responsibility here, but not blame. And it was just stunning. Yeah, it was it was very it was very good. Stunning is a good way to put it, Sarah. Another thing that I really um, appreciated and and in all honesty loved in regards to what was going on on the Dilithium planet is the whole story with Culber, Adira, and Gray. Now, the whole idea of Gray being able to be seen because of what the holodeck computers you know were able to do and 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 turn him into a Vulcan so that everyone could communicate. You know that uh, Adira. They've been going through a lot. Um, not really sure how to to deal with this whole fact that people can't see Gray when when they can. But that moment when Culber saw Gray and just hugged him, and they all just had that moment. That might have been one of the most emotional moments of not just this episode for me, but for the entire season. What do you think? Oh, it was so unexpected. I, I'm just so used to Gray just kind of like showing up with that smile, just there to to have fun and or to to be with Adira, and then to see the reaction and just the instant acceptance and the hug, and just that acting for twenty seconds. Wow, like you got me on that one for sure. And I really, really want to know what what's next for Gray. Yeah. I, I think that's going to be an interesting aspect to season four. Mm. Uh, I thought it was, uh, again, connection. Culber instantly connected with Gray. And I think Adira appreciated that when they saw him doing it uh, with Gray. And I think that that's something that's going to really play into the next season. We'll get into when Gray was dematerializing later because I have something specific I want to say about that. But I really appreciated that aspect of family with that with those three characters uh when they were on the planet um but let's move over to the discovery for a little while because there was a couple of things going on in discovery this week you know you know no, nobody just yeah. sitting around on the bridge you know, you know only a takeover by uh you know hostile forces um <laughs> let's talk about the two villains uh, for just a minute and then we'll get into mm. more of it but let's talk about osira and zara um osira Sarah, did you think that she was as 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 scary as 
we thought she might have been after watching last week? Or did you think that there was a little bit left out from her character in this week? For Osira? I thought that yeah. she was great. I thought that I loved the fight scenes. I love the action. I love seeing the um, the female actors having that opportunity to get in there and throw some punches and just be, you know, bad to the bone. I, I enjoyed the whole the plot line with it. I was actually kind of sad to see her go, if I'm being honest. I really kind of, I don't know what it is, but I felt a connection to that character. I just really enjoyed the way it was played. I enjoyed the sarcasm and all mm. of it. I thought initially, if you remember a few weeks back when we when we first talked about Osira, Bill, uh, I didn't really care for the character. I thought it was a wasted character. Then we saw her the second time, and she was much more badass. And then this time, she was downright ruthless, torturing book. The fight scene in the memory core was fantastic, as Sarah just mentioned. Would you have liked to see her continue, or do you think it was time to cut the character off now so that we can get the season over with and move on to other things? Oh, there was only one ending for Osira. Um, she wasn't going to end any other way than dead in this season. And it, it kind of had to happen. You know, they, they could have thrown her in, I don't know, Federation Jail or whatever it is now in the 31st century, 32nd century. But uh, ultimately, it was going to come down to her and Burnham in the end, and, and Burnham had to be victorious. So I, I do think that whereas I wasn't as big a fan of the Osira character when we started, I think that um, the character gradually grew in their um, evilness over time and I think became much more believable the last several appearances, uh, especially last week and this week. From the moment she wastes Rin through the end of this episode, mm -hmm. she's just diabolical and I, I got to hand it to her. Don't mm -hmm. don't talk about Ren dying, please. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> it's it's still too soon. <laughs> Him dead. Still He's still too soon. Casey, um, I gotta say the the scene that made me the most uncomfortable in this week's episode was the torture scene in sick bay. She she told Zara to turn that up to full power, uh, and um, you saw the true Osiris showing, and yeah. I think that really had an effect uh, on Ken Mitchell's character. And unfortunately, I, I'm blanking on his character name at the moment. I apologize. Sarah knows it. But um, yeah, I, I, I hear this, she is a badass leader. And how did she become this leader? Doing whatever has to be done. And if you're going to be a, a villain, don't be a milquetoast villain. Get in there and be rough. Be tough. Be sincere that y there are things you want, your goals, and destroying the Federation is, is part of that. So, absolutely, as the season went on, this character more and more, I was like, okay, here's, here's, here's a foe. Don't know how long we'll have her as a foe, but uh, she was a lot more threatening for me every time than Zara. Speaking of Zara, oh, actually, Bill. Yeah, I, I think that we got a couple of different dimensions of Osira, too. You know, in the fight with Burnham, she says she tried to bring the Federation to the table. I think she really was trying to work for some angle of peace, although one that would benefit the Emerald Chain. But by the same token, she's been leading a double life because Aurelio thinks she's actually a much better person than she is. Mm -hmm. And she sold him that lie. So I think that she in some ways was the person she wanted to be and always was. And I think in another way, she was the person she wished she could be the person with compassion and kindness and the person who treated Aurelio, you know, like, um, like they were their, you know, their person. So I, uh, it was uh -huh. interesting to see those two very disparate characterizations. I, I thought it led to a really complex character. She was complex. And one of the things, I'll just give a little of advice to a, a tyrant who wants to take over the world. If you have somebody who's very smart and helping you, you probably don't want to choke him almost to death to get your point across to him. Yeah. That might not be a good thing, unless it's Casey. <laughs> right, Casey? <laughs> wow. Well, <laughs> am, I, am I the choker or the chokey? Yikes. <laughs> I'll let you make that decision. Um, so let's talk about Zara as well. Ugh. We oh. have had some discussions about Zara. Um, you know, uh, I was wondering before the episode, Sarah, who I wanted to die a more painful death just because I couldn't stand them. Osira, and I don't mean I couldn't stand Osira in the fact that I didn't like the character as the villain. I didn't like Osira. Or Zara because I just didn't like Zara. Her death at least was quick. We got to watch Zara. We'll get into the whole death scene of him in a minute 
God's sake. Um, but but what what did you think about Zara and the and the I think wasted opportunity for a character for this season? Oh yeah, great character. I liked Zara. I like the bad oh. guy. I do. I'm I'm the worst. You give me a movie or a TV show and you have someone that's just... No, I'm serious. You give me the worst person. I, I love it. Because I look at it so much more as the the actor that got into that place to play the character. I look at some of these things very oddly. And I really enjoyed both um, Osira and Zara in this season. Because it was just someone you get to hate and you love to hate them and you yell at the TV. I Yeah, I, I kind of wanted a little bit more and I wanted to see them last a bit longer. But that's just me. Casey, you're shaking your head, buddy. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. I thought Zara was so vanilla, cheese whiz, baloney, wonder bread kind of a villain. There is nothing about that character that it, for a single second scared me or threatened me. It was like, this guy just looks constipated, doesn't know what to do, and has absolutely no umph. Nothing. Sorry. No, but that's the best villain. You know they'll totally go have beers with you later, and you can maybe keep them from doing something bad. <laughs> Salvageable. He doesn't buy either. He makes you get all the rounds. Ugh. You know. You know what's funny, Bill, is I will say when we first saw him in episode two of the season, I think he was more threatening than he was at the end of the season. Which I mean, I, I don't know if he was threatening at all either time. But if I had to weigh. I would take him at the beginning of the season based, or instead of, you know, frozen hands error at the end of the season. I can see that to some degree. I think the problem with Zara is that he's, he's a one-dimensional bully. And he's the same bully we've seen in countless movies and TV shows over the last half century. There was nothing unique about this character other than his mullet. And even <laughs> then, if we're talking about the 80s, or right now, he could look like Casey Shafsky, quite frankly. Um, he just, as f- he, he was, uh, you know, Casey used the phrase milk toast earlier. To me, that's what Zara was. He, was. he wasn't even threatening to to Tilly. Tilly wasn't scared of him. Mm. And and she had a lot to be scared of, and rightfully so in this episode, because she's in command. So um, I, I could have done without the Zara character. You know, if, if this is Die Hard in Space, and Osira is Hans Gruber, uh, this guy wasn't even Carl. He wasn't even that good. He was the dude sitting in the lobby behind the desk. Henchman number, like henchman number four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you brought up Tilly a second, a second ago. So let's talk about what the crew was dealing with uh, in this episode. The, um, the idea. So now I know why they separated the nacelles at the beginning of the season with the upgrade to Discovery. So that they could do things to save the ship in the finale with uh, an explosion to... Uh, Cause issues with uh, with that warp drive. I did like uh, Sarah the the team building aspect uh, of these crew members. I I totally expected the crew member that we never saw before last week to be the one who died, but that wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I also did like how they were able to work in how um, Oya was able to go ahead when nobody else could with her deep diving uh, back at back at home. Uh, did you uh, did you think that Tilly a, did a good job at what she was doing? She basically told her, you are the one who has to go die to save the rest of the ship, sort of like we've seen in TNG in the past in, uh, in holodeck uh, stuff with Troy. I think that Tilly did a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. I think that that's what it takes to be a leader is to make the hard decisions and to put forth the orders that you don't want to do in order to save more or for the greater good. Um, it was phenomenal. It was great. I, I thought Tilly did a great job and I was really excited to get that little glimpse, but I am in agreement with the way things kind of progressed with the series too for, for somebody else to take that captain's chair. I don't know. It's a tough call, but she did great while she was in it. Yeah, she did do a great job. And, and Casey, what do you think about the whole, um, dots being involved in this with uh with the sphere data helping and and going to rescue and and that kind of thing did you think that that worked i thought it worked i thought it was kind of cool um but i don't know if it was overdone maybe a little bit too much what do you think it it was kind of cool to me but i i didn't fully understand as like is each dot a certain aspect of the sphere data or an entirety um what's going on there i mean it was 
it was a nice ability to have another ally you weren't expecting to be able to, to come in. Um, but I wasn't quite sure on all of that of what was going to be the, you know, the whole story of it. And, uh, I kind of said, if, if you're the whole sphere data in, in these little units, wouldn't you be able to do a lot of stuff and kind of takes away from the drama? Yeah, I would say that uh, it's a good point. And Bill, one of the things that I was going to say was if if the entire sphere data was in just say one of these dots, I don't think it would have been a good idea for the dot to go and try to rescue Joanne at the warp core um, when it could have been destroyed when the whole idea of, of saving them in the first place was why everybody jumped a thousand years in the future. I've got a couple of problems with this whole dot aspect. Uh, the first of which is I don't understand why they introduced the sphere data into the dots because really I thought it was an underplayed and underserved part of this script. There was really no reason for the sphere data to be in there. They could have very easily just taken control of the dots or, uh, or, or done something else because really it didn't... Uh, the only way it mattered is in that Owo's life was saved. That's really the only impact that it had is that it made the conscious decision to get her. Other than that, the sphere data didn't seem like it played that big a deal. Now, if you remember back to season two, they had a couple of different plans to try to get the sphere data away from control. The first of which is they were going to pack it in the Red Angel suit and send it off into the future. That didn't work because they didn't have the power. The second of which was, well, they were going to blow up Discovery. That didn't work because the sphere data became aware of that and, and kind of nixed the plan. So right. that's when the plan to jump happened. Um, so I guess my question along is if, if, why didn't they put the sphere data in the dots to start with and then do something else with the dots? I feel like it opens up a new plot hole for last season while not really dealing well with the way they introduced it this season, personally. Okay. Well, I, I can appreciate that. And I thank you for connecting the dots. Oh, oh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That wow. was horrible. Yeah. Um, I, I did like how they introduced the dots with the voice of Zora. I thought that was kind of cool. There's been a lot of talk online about, is this ever going to connect to the short trek that we saw a couple years ago? I don't even know if I want to dive down that rabbit hole, but it, it was nice to hear that voice. It was also nice to see the one that sacrificed itself come back at the end of the episode. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so lots of great things happened in this episode. Of course, the end, you know, the discovery coming back home with the ships all lined up was great and and new captain i've been we've all talked about this i think we got the new captain finally i think uh i think she's uh, been waiting for this for a long time so casey I, I can tell that you're just jumping out of your skin wanting to talk about this so take it away oh man as soon as as soon as we get you know close up on the bars and everything going on and new uniforms and that stride and, you know, the strut and the character arc that you knew was hopefully going to come to this. And just like, hey, this this resets the series for next year. And I was like, okay, bring it. Let's, you know, let's go. As I said, let's fly. And I was jazzed to see her finally in the, the command chair, hopefully permanently. Bill, I have a very strong suspicion that there's going to be a lot of cosplaying with those new uniforms in Vegas this summer. I, I don't doubt that for one second. I, I kind of like them. I know a lot mm -hmm. of people don't. I, I do like them, yeah. yeah I like them. They, they kind of remind me of Star Trek The Motion Picture with flashes of color from TNG. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I think that's a cool marriage of those two uniform styles. But it, it, it's nice to see that it had at least one long-term, long-range scan come true this season. <laughs> and that's that Burnham would be in command by the end of the season. Right. Um, I, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but I'm going to. I'm going to take oh, a victory yeah. lap right now. <laughs> Um, and it's and great to I, see. And I rode those coattails the following week, if I remember correctly. So I'll pat your back for you. Yeah, I, it's great to see. And I'm, 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 I think it's a great development for the character. It is. And, you know, I know at the beginning of the show, a few years back, people were talking about the fact that this was a show that was going to concentrate on someone that who was not the captain of a starship. This was the first time that this had actually happened. And whether that was good or bad. I got to say, I'm pretty excited to the fact that now the star of the show is Captain. I thought that that was a great move, Sarah, and I'm looking forward to seeing what um, Sonequa is going to do in this role as Captain next season. I have somewhat mixed feelings, but I 
don't know how to express them because I love Sinequa and I love her in the captain's role, but I think there's a little tiny percentage of me that's just like, all the things that she's done, like really, should she be captain? I mean, True. if I had that information at hand, I'd be like a little nervous. I'm like, a lot of the stuff that you've been successful in has been partly luck and partly breaking the rules to get it done. So there's a little bit of me that's like, ah, oh, this will be interesting to see how it plays out, but I'm ready for it. Bring on the ride. I'll fly right next to her. Let's do it. I 100% agree with you. And I think that the way that they were able to wrap up that possible aspect was the whole conversation that Admiral Vance had with her about his daughter and how she broke the rules and always mm -hmm. seemed to win and that and that Michael was pretty much the same thing. So I totally get where you're coming from and mm -hmm. I agree with you 100%. But I think that's the way that they were able to wrap it up saying, well, hey, the Admiral thinks it's okay. So, so well, she's captain. Well, that's one Admiral, right? And Admirals <laughs> we'll, make mistakes too. Yep. Absolutely. So, so many good things, guys, in this episode. But I got to say, there were a couple of things that really had me scratching my head. Um, one of them being, and Casey, I'll, I'll get your opinion on it. If you're going to have a warp core set to overload, and you're then going <laughs> to shoot it out the bottom of the ship... I think you probably want to have some kind of shielding so that it's not <laughs> scraping up against the tube that it's fallen through and maybe explode prematurely. I'm just saying. What do you think? Right? That, <laughs> that seemed so janky to me. I was just like going, holy crud, this is... You're, it's not like you're just throwing, you know, a scuba diving tank down something and hey, it'll be fun. It was like... Holy crud, we are really just bong, 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 hitting the sides of the ship. But I was like, well, hey, if you blow up early, it's your own damn fault. <laughs> Bill, we had a conversation about that a little bit online uh, earlier today from work. And I don't know, I, I can understand the drama aspect of it, but it just seemed a little, a little, a little corny for me. What do you think? I, I don't think it was corny. I just, I, I don't think that necessarily it was thought out as to how it should work. At the very least, they should have gone back to Voyager to take a look what happened when they ejected the warp core and what that looked like. So mm -hmm. I get that the 31st century, sorry, 32nd century, I keep misstating the wrong century. Come on, man. Is different um, <laughs> with the warp core perhaps, but I don't think it's going to clang around the side. I think it's going to drop, drop right out of there. So in, um, in, in Star Trek 2009, didn't the ejection go up? Well, but they also had a bunch of little tiny warp cores, That's like true. multiples, like which made no sense there. either. Mm -hmm. It was more like a dozen. <laughs> was it that many? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it just it made no sense either. So, um, I don't know. <laughs> Sarah, let's talk about uh, one more thing before I get to the big thing that um, everybody is talking about this week. <laughs> and um, that is Stamets and Burnham. Obviously, Stamets was really upset yeah, last week of what was going on, and we did see everyone celebrating at the end of the episode except Stamets because when he saw uh, uh, Burnham walk in, his face went completely stoic, and she looked pretty shocked. So do you think that that's going to be a big plot line for next season or do you think it's just going to be swept under the rug real quick you know what dan spoiler alert this is what i bring up in a later segment of ah. this podcast um okay. i got some I guess thoughts I... I got okay. some thoughts, so I'm glad you uh, teased the audience. They're going to keep listening. Ooh. We'll table that discussion then for Ooh. now. All in favor? Okay. Aye. <laughs> yes. Aye. Okay, so let's just get right to it. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Turbo lifts in Discovery just does not work. It hasn't worked from the first time we saw it when they were all on rails of some kind going up and down and sideways. And this week, it was like anti-grav pulsation thing shooting them across and i'm sorry when did discovery become a tardis because that the amount of open space it just i thought that that fell so flat i don't mean that as a pun from when zara fell out but i just i just i that took a lot out of this episode for me bill what do you think uh yeah it it takes you right out of that scene it makes it completely unbelievable here's the problem it's almost as if no one on the writing staff and no one on the visual effects team understands how its own ship is laid out. At its at its deepest point, Discovery is only about four decks deep. Yeah. And in the saucer section, or let's call it the rings, there's two concentric donuts, if you will, mm -hmm. that spin in opposite directions. And there is not that gigantic, vast openness. It's It's equally as bad when they pull up to the memory core. 
because it looks like they just pulled into the center of the second Death Star in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. um, there is no space on board that ship that exists in those dimensions. Star Trek fans for half a century have been buying technical manuals. I still have mine from the 1970s, the original Franz Joseph that came in the, uh, the vinyl case with the gold embossed lettering. People have bought the DS9 and the TNG and, and all the other tech manuals that exist. And there is nothing that they can do in those manuals to account for this big a misstep. It just says that they don't understand how the world of Star Trek works in this sense. And it's, it's blatantly obvious. There are those who say online that this is just a worthless argument. I'm sorry, it's not. Because it speaks a lot to the believability of this universe and the technology. It's funny that you say that because... A lot of times we listen to the garbage that people spew online about Discovery. That is so unwarranted. But I got to say, this is warranted. All of the, any of the um, complaints and, and unpleasant wording about how the turbo lifts in Discovery are represented is completely valid. And this episode really proves that. And Sarah, I think I guess one of the reasons maybe they wanted to continue to do it and make it such a big deal in this episode was so that they could have a an interesting fall to the death like the Disney villains for Zara, but it it didn't even the, even the death it just because of the way that it was shown, it just it took it out for me. I didn't really think it was all that great. Um, you know, I'm going to be the polite Canadian here and do my <laughs> best to be polite. I very much respect everyone's opinion on this because everyone has a right to an opinion and it's Star Trek and Star Trek is brings out the best and the mm -hmm. worst in everybody. I don't care. I, I, it didn't bother me. It didn't affect me. I thought okay. it was pretty. I thought, Hey, great job to those who created it with their special effects and the team that did it. That's not an easy thing to do. It didn't take away. Um, but I get also your point. It is a little bit bananas and it doesn't really fit and it's a bit over the top, but it didn't, it didn't affect my, um, viewing of it. I can appreciate that. No, that's fine. Like you said, yeah. like yeah. like everybody says, somebody's favorite Star Trek is somebody's least favorite. Something that somebody somebody may have thought that the turbo list scenes were the best part of this episode. Yeah, so exactly. that's okay. That's what's that's what's great about being Star Trek fans. Mm -hmm. We have our own opinions and none of them are wrong. Casey, what was your wrong opinion on what happened? <laughs> uh, my wrong opinion was I, I didn't know we got an e ticket ride to Six Flags Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice. it was just like what if we walked into where oh there's a ride you know half a mile over there and another ride a quarter mile over there um i i hear what sarah's saying you know dramatically for the episode uh i did i did kind of get caught in my own thinking when i was like as soon as the scene started that like, wait a minute and that pulled me out and i had to let go mm -hmm. of of that to come back into the drama um i i don't know what they're doing there so it is what it is we got what we got and um there we go okay a couple other quick things i wanted to bring up just to get everybody's opinion um bill did you think it was kind of a convenient plot device that book all of a sudden was able to do whatever he was able to do so that he could jump the ship no i thought it fit Okay. Um, I had no problems with it. I, it stands to reason that with all of his abilities to be you know, to have empathy and to be able to communicate on some level with other forms of life, that he could be able to navigate the mycelial network. I, I think it's a great wrinkle for this character, and it gives Discovery a little bit of options now. Sarah, did you like it? I thought one thing that was interesting, which I would have liked to see, with him being able to to control the spore drive. Now it's nice that we have two people that can do it. I kind of was hoping to see him in a uniform at the episode at the end of the episode too. No, I don't Aww. think so. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Dad, His here. moment no. to shine, as Saru put it. I, I, I liked it, though. I thought it made sense. I mean, there was hints at the beginning of the season that he had some different um, abilities and some, uh, you know, going out there saving animals and, and doing what he did. So I, I like it. I think it was a, a well-thought-out um, plot twist for him. Casey? I I like that book is his own person not a joiner and said yeah. hey i'll help you on certain things because I, I want to be here but i'm not just gonna you know strap your uniform on and yes sir no sir type of deal um and like you're saying it opens things up so if later on in season four we get something where maybe stamets refuses for some reason to work the spore drive 
then there's an option. So you, you get some dramatic license coming on, going, I like it. One more question, and I'm just going to get a very quick answer from each of you, and then we'll move on. Uh, what was up with that wall of programmable matter in the core? Um, did that work for you, Bill? Yeah, absolutely did. Casey? Sure. Sarah? Super cool. All right. That's all I wanted to know. I liked how she was throwing up programmable matter. Did it work for you? I it I yeah. found it odd that it was just in that one location, there was a wall of programmable matter that just happened to be where Osira decided to push her, thinking that it would have been the end of her. That didn't make sense to me, that aspect of she pushed her in, okay, she must be dead now, so I'm just going to walk away. That's always the, the big mistake that a villain makes, I guess, but... I don't know. It, it was a little, a little strange for me. Is that where all the programmable matter in the ship comes from, and it makes its way to the ship? It was just, it, it opened some questions for me. I just looked at it as, a, as a console there in the memory core, just like you know the bridge stations now have programmable matter, and Bookship has programmable matter. You know, in any server room, you've got a, a series of of racks with a bunch of servers in it. Maybe that's the thirty second century equivalent of that. Who knows? Okay. Uh, oh, I forgot one thing. Uh, Casey and Sarah, where did the Navar get dilithium for their ships? Did I miss that in an episode? Radio Shack. <laughs> I just thought it interesting that they were following Discovery in warp when yeah. these ships didn't have warp drive. So I don't know if maybe they gave them dilithium when we weren't looking or something. No. Nope. I have no idea. All right, then. Great discussion on the season finale, guys. As always, I just want season four to start tomorrow so we can keep it up. We want to also welcome everybody to the newest segment here on Discovering Trek as we wrap up the season. You know, it's a well-known fact that Casey, Bill, and I are really not very bright. Um, and in this segment, hey. Sarah's going to make us put our thinking caps on as she offers us an on-the-spot question related specifically to this week's episode. Plus, really, who doesn't like hearing from the Guardian of Forever, right? Sarah, it's all yours. It's Sarah's Question Corner. A question. Oh, I got a, a minor question. Do you guys mind if I give you two, a fun one and a serious one for the finale? Let's do it. Do All it. Right. Yes, please. Yes. yes, please. I'm starting with the serious one first. Okay. In this episode, Sukal's mother had a request that was personal to her, their family and their planet. Have his grandfather float him at whatever the place was that she said. What would be your equivalent? What is your special place or tradition that represents where you come from? Oh wow! Okay, so why don't we start with I, you since that was so, so that was moving? Um, oh wow! <laughs> um, my father grew up in Fort Bragg, California, and his father and a father before him uh, ran the Shafsky General Store, which, if you go to Fort Bragg, California, down Main Street, you can see it was established, I believe, in 1893, um, and. I love going up there and walking the train tracks and you're just surrounded by giant redwoods and it's quiet and it's serene and you get that particular smell. And when there's new growth on uh, redwoods, it's a bright green leaf that darkens over time. And... Um, I've walked those train tracks with, with my dad, with my brother, by myself, and uh, that's kind of always my go-to place in my head of when I need to clear crap out of my head and uh, be connected to who I am. That's what I think about. Mr. Smith? I was hoping you'd go next because I'm still working on this. Oh, I can go ahead um, if you'd like me to. Yeah, no, go ahead because I don't know okay. if I have one. <laughs> okay. Well, <clears throat> my entire life... Um, I have gone to a place in Laconia, New Hampshire, on Lake Winnesquam. It's been our family cottage. We call it the camp. I've been going there since before I have memories of it. Um, my entire life, we've gone up there. Um, I've spent summers up there with with extended family. Um, as an adult, uh, we've we've gone up there for a week vacation every year since Sue and I have been together. It is it is the most relaxing place on the planet for me it's the place i love the most and um a few years ago it was sold 
um, luckily to another family member. But when it was sold, I was devastated because I didn't think I would ever be able to go there again. Um, but luckily, uh, my cousin allows us to still go up there once a, once a, uh, a year for a week. And it's, it's my favorite place on the planet, even more so than Disney. Um, so that is the place without hesitation that I would choose. I don't know if I, if I necessarily have a place that's a touchstone like that in my life uh, at this phase. Um, there are places that I like to go to, to, to feel utter relaxation, but I don't have one that is a grounding place necessarily. And that's, I'm only coming to this realization now as we record this. Um, I think I probably used to at one point in my life, but um, other things have occurred in my journey where those places aren't nearly as grounding as they used to be. So, um, I realize that's a non-answer answer and I try to avoid those, but I have to honestly say, I don't know. That's all right, man. Sarah, what about you? I don't think I'd have a specific place, but I think the region of where I live would be a big part of it because I'm third generation born on this island up in in BC and my great grandmother came here from Seattle so get that ferry ride going across storm season beach watching ocean that Pacific Northwest um, rainforest type nice now the fun one who's ready for this one all right what would be your closeout phrase we've 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 seen Make it so, let's fly. What do you guys got? Wow me. Oh boy. I feel like Saru uh, earlier in the season. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> I, that's, that's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I almost want to go back to, uh, to Captain Freeman on Lower Decks and say it's warp time. Um, or warp me the hell out of here. Or just get me away from Dan. Any of those work for me. <laughs> It's funny that you say that, because I was going to say maybe one that makes me think of you a lot, and that's punch it. So that's maybe what I would go with. So you went with Star Wars. Got it. Wow. (laughs) So violent. (laughs) What about you, Casey? I'm just, let's go. Let's go. Just ready. You know, whatever's going to happen, let's go. Sarah? Uh, Mine's so horribly sarcastic and awful. Warp Factor 9, you're welcome. (laughs) Set phasers to kill. You're welcome. You're welcome. Wow. <laughs> I came up with that one today when I was trying to think. I'm like, they're going to ask me, and I have to have an answer. And that's mine. Shields yeah, up. We're going to ask you. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> yep. No regrets. You're welcome. Dan has clothes on tonight. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> hey, cats and kittens, we want to take a moment to thank Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network and wish them continued success in 2021. Every week, it is our honor and privilege to tell all of you the latest releases from Fansets because we know that you want the very best Star Trek pins available and they are always hard at work to bring you new and exciting additions to your growing collection. I'm still trying to get past cats and kittens, daddy-o. Yeah, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You know, earlier this week, Fansets gave us an amazing preview of some of the pins that are going to become available over the course of the next couple of months. And uh, I I hate to use the word amazing again, but that's truly what it is. They include Nog from Deep Space Nine, which is such a wonderful tribute to the late Aaron Eisenberg, Uh, Dr. Jillian Taylor from Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, Zindi Reptilian Commander Dolan from Enterprise, General Martok from Deep Space Nine, and his buddy Chancellor Galron from both TNG and DS9. And also from TNG, we'll be welcoming Guinan and Dr. Pulaski in the coming months, hey. along with a special Valentine's Day release of a Horgon for those of you seeking Jamaharon. Ah. Thank you, Casey. Well timed. The list continues with Trelane from the Squire of Gothos and TOS. And of course, Kirk in his monster maroon yes. uniform yes. from the Star Trek movies, numbers two through six. Now, next up. We have new lower decks pins, of course. There's Captain William T. Riker and Commander Deanna Troy, the USS Titan. There's Nerissa from Star Trek Picard, who will be joining us as well as the first ever couples pin of Laris and Jabon. Yes. Yes. Need to see more of those characters. Now, of course, for you Discovery fans, we have Jet Reno and Cleveland Booker coming your way. And of course, finally, there's a couple of ship pins coming in. The USS Titan, and the one I know Dan is going to go gaga over, the Doomsday Machine pin from the original series. That's it? Wow, they really should start getting to work, I think. 
Wow. <laughs> just, kid, just kidding, guys. Just kidding. That sure. Unbelievable. Unbelievable list of pins, Bill. Uh, and you're right. I cannot wait for that Doomsday Machine pin. Uh, now, folks, please keep in mind that some of the pins that Bill mentioned are still awaiting final approval from our friends over at CBS. So check out Fansets social media pages for specifics on which ones uh, are they're still waiting for that approval on. Now, until those pins arrive, there are still gaggles of pins available at fansets.com. So head on over there, check out all the cool stuff they have, put a bunch of pins and accessories and gift cards into your cart, and then enter the special code word Discovering Trek in all caps with no spaces at checkout for an amazing 10% off your entire order. And hey, don't forget, sorry, Sarah, that if you're in the United States and spend more than $30, you're going to get free shipping. Fansets can take my money right now. I'm so excited about these releases that you're talking about. This is, ugh. I'm supposed to save money in 2021. It's not happening now. Fansets, our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor for this entire season of Discovering Trek. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Well, Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and as we always do in this segment, we're going to take a look at what this episode helped us to discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. And Casey, uh, why don't you start us off this week, buddy? All right, my friend. Uh, Mine's going to be short and sweet. It's really just, we are, as individuals and society, a work in progress. The end of your education in life is maybe the end of your life, so... Be open to learn. Be open to different things, new adventures, new people. Um, Relook at things that you think uh, are ways things should be or maybe could be. Um, and really look inside. <laughs> who, who are you? Are you? Are you finished as being who you want to be as a person? Or are you still continuing to learn, grow, um, and become? That's it. Well, for me this week, at the end of the episode, Michael Burnham had a voiceover, and forgive me for using her speech, but it is perfect for this week's segment. So I'm going to quote her here. Disconnection. That's how this future began. One moment in time radiated outward until no one even remembered that connection was possible anymore. But it is. The need to connect is at our core as sentient beings. It takes time effort, and understanding. Sometimes it feels impossible. But if we work at it, miracles can happen. End quote. And after the events at the United States Capitol last week, it is vitally important that everyone digest these words. The need to connect is at our core as sentient beings, as Michael said. The level of disconnect that we are seeing in the world right now, not just in the United States, is cancerous. It's dangerous, and it needs to stop. How can we ever hope to achieve the future that we see in Star Trek when we have people inciting riots to destroy democracy, to wage wars across the globe simply because someone looks different or prays to a different deity? We are all of the same cloth, people. Don't you think it's time that we look to connect? Like Michael said, if we work at it, miracles can happen. And damn it, now we need a miracle more than ever. Sarah? I came out of this episode mad at one character, and therefore mad at myself for being mad at that character. Stamets. I like this character. He's layered, he's dry, sarcastic, funny, and full of so much love. And Anthony Rapp, I mean, come on, the guy is unstoppable. But Stamets and that stink eye to Burnham, that anger he has for her, that grudge he's going to hold, I don't like it. Now I get it. I totally get it. Fear is a strong emotion. Pain is something everyone wants to avoid. He's felt the loss of Hugh before and naturally wants to avoid that. I get it. But when you signed up for Starfleet, you knew there were dangers. When you signed up for Starfleet, you knew there was risk. This storyline is a great example as to what the dangers are of placing couples and families together on a ship. It creates too much conflict and it puts people in horrible situations and can be a weakness. But... Having family together brings humanity. It's real pain, real love, real loss, real victory. It makes them stronger. I understand why he's mad, and I understand that everyone is different, and everyone reacts to this type of stress differently. I guess for me, I look at it as black and white. If I were Paul, I'd come out of this saying to myself, 
I didn't like this scenario. I didn't like this risk. Starfleet isn't for me. If you don't like the situation, the danger, the risk, don't put yourself in it. But again, it's easy to say as I yell at the couch with a bowl of Doritos in my hand. I agree with Michael's tough choice. I don't like that the pain was in her face when she realized Stamets was still upset, and I hope they don't drag out a feud forever in season four. But that's my opinion, and I do want it to be addressed because trust is key, and if she's going to sit in that big chair, she needs to be confident that she's got the trust of her entire crew. There are few emotions as powerful and as overwhelming as grief particularly when that grief is experienced by a young child with the death of a parent. It's a defining moment in that young life and one that leaves an indelible mark on such a pure heart. Grief doesn't get better. It just becomes more and more distant in your rearview mirror, but it's always there. That's the advice I gave to a friend not long ago based on my own experience in losing my mom in 2017. Grief is burdensome, and Sukal has lived with his almost his entire life with this great life-altering pain, but his pain was felt by an entire galaxy. Here on Earth today, we are grieving. Here in the United States, approximately 350,000 people have died from the COVID-19 virus at the time of this recording. To put that in perspective, that's a number nearly as high as all of the American servicemen killed in the Second World War. There are family members and our neighbors and our co-workers. They're part of our human family and, and they are a loss that we can never truly heal from. It will become more distant in our rear view over time, but the generation occupying this planet can never be whole, just as Sukal may never be whole, and I just wish we had a Saru to help us. Commendations, palm leaf of Axanar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, Prenteris Ribbon of Commendation. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for that wonderful part of the show where we give away awards that mean absolutely nothing. It's Starfleet Commendations. Uh, who would you pick? What would you pick uh, as something that really stood out for you this week? And Casey, let's start with you. No, you know what? We started you last time, so we're not going to start with you now. Let's go with Sarah first. Yeah. Sarah, Ooh, all right. <laughs> Step aside. Um, okay. I'm doing Doug Jones and Bill Irwin because, as I said earlier, their scenes together made them some of the best parts of this whole episode. And um, I loved seeing Doug Jones as Doug Jones. Like that was yeah. what was that? I was that was magic, great work. And you know, after my little uh, comments and stuff, I'm going to throw in Anthony Rapp too because I am not the kind of person that gets charged up by characters, by TV shows, by plot changes. And I was I was kind of like just mad at him after those scenes with that. And I'm that's all about his acting, and he is fantastic. So you know what? Points for him too. He is fantastic, Bill. What do you got, buddy? Well, I've I've overachieved this week. I know we say three, but I'm at, I'm at five, oh, and I just oh added one Lord. just now. Oh, um, so I'm going to go through them really quickly. First, I got to say Jeff Russo. This entire season has featured some amazing music, which has really done a great job underscoring everything that's going on, and it's been its own character. So, hats off to the maestro, uh, Anthony Rapp. I love me some Stamets side-eye. I'm just going to say that right now. And <laughs> I like the potential here for conflict. You know, in, in Rick Berman's office, there used to be a bust of Gene Roddenberry that had a blindfold on it for all the times they would break the Roddenberry rule that, you know, the, the main cast had to always get along by the end of the episode. That's not so in this case. And I can't wait to see where this goes. Uh, Doug Jones, how can you not give Doug Jones a commendation? Because... Uh, Saru has quite a journey in this episode and Doug plays it amazingly well. Uh, Janet Kidder, I got to say, I, I'm now in, I'm now in the Osira camp. I actually kind of like this character and Janet's performance in this finale was, was nothing short of, of equal to my next commendation, which is, uh, Burnham herself, Sonequa Martin-Green. Uh, Sonequa, as she always does, puts this, th th these stories on her back and carries them through to the goal line. And does an amazing, amazing job. And this season, this episode is no different. Well, um, I'm going to start off with Sonequa Martin-Green. Um, we've been waiting for this moment for a long time, ever since this, the series started, I think, for some people. And and I got to say, it looked like Sonequa had been waiting to become captain, too. She did a fabulous job, not just in this episode when she becomes captain, but this entire season, uh, as with the other seasons. She is such a pinnacle in the show, and so I want to give a big shout-out to her. 
Also want to give one out to Wilson Cruz. Uh, we talked about it earlier, his scene where he could see Gray and the reaction that, that he gave Gray was one of the most heartfelt scenes of the season to me. His acceptance and welcoming Gray to the family, and then the pain that the three of them, uh, uh, Culber, Gray, and Adira, were facing when Gray was about to fade away was equally as heartbreaking. And the promise of finding a way to get him back was was just as emotional. And again, I, I've done it, oh God, I don't know how many times I've done it this, this season. Gotta give it to Doug Jones. Again with Dougie. Such a layered character. And although I loved seeing his human side again this week... I was absolutely thrilled to have Kelpie and Saru back at the end of the episode. I actually tweeted out to him earlier this week about how great it was to see him out of all of that latex. But seeing him as human Doug Jones and seeing the amount of expertise and brilliant acting that he does shows that 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 latex is not needed for him to be an amazing actor. And Casey, we'll round it out with you finally. (laughs) Oh, all right. Here we go. Um... My commendations really go to the entire writing staff of Discovery. Uh, We got things that were unexpected, wonderful, uh, things that fulfilled questions or arcs that we'd been hoping for for some time. I mean, think about it. The the burn cause was completely unexpected. Um, We didn't get a big rehash of a huge space battle at the end of this finale. We got something different. Uh, We got a good send-off for Giorgio. We got new characters throughout the season that we grew to care for, and we want to know more of their story, and we're going to get that. Um, we didn't get a, a bad moral, you know? We got a dad moral in it. Yeah. So that was like, thank you for not falling into that. Um, we finally get Burnham gets the damn chair right on. And I was like, you know, thank you all for the the tremendous... When you think about when the writers are doing this and having to create out of nothing, hours upon hours of drama that will mostly make sense and entertain a lot of people, that pressure's got to be huge. So commendations for the entire writing, writing staff this season. Thank you. Long range scan of planet complete. Well, every episode, we like to take a long, good look into the Bajoran Orb of Prophecy to try to determine what the future will hold for the crew of the Discovery. Uh, We're usually wrong, but Bill did point out that uh, he was right uh, and at least won the season. Not really too much to talk about for next week's episode because, well, there isn't one, but we can talk about what we think will happen in season four. So, Bill, what do you got? Well, I've got uh, I got two predictions. One I just created, and that is that uh, the streak of twenty three straight weeks of Star Star Trek comes to a close. There will not be a twenty fourth week next week. That doesn't count. That is oh. not counting. Then here's my real <laughs> <Yeah>. prediction: um, <laughs> going into season four, I'm going to say Discovery is going to happen across some pockets of the Federation that might not be too happy to see the band get back together. And I think it's going to take us to some familiar places. I think that we're going to see Bajor and or Cardassia Prime next season. I like that, especially after what happened with the Dominion to see if they've rebuilt. Interesting. I like it. I'll give it a thumbs up. Sarah, what do you got? Um, I think we're going to see the Stamets-Burnham fight play out for a little bit. I think we're going to see them exploring new ways to help Grey. I'd like to see a really new, good, bad guy alien species we've never seen before. And then to throw a fun one last minute, I want to see some uh, quirk signs all over the place that that business went crazy over the last 900 years. And it's just everywhere. Quark bars. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Casey, what do you got for next season, bud? I think uh, Gray's going to become a full-on hologram that can interact with all the crew on Discovery. And I think we might, you know, be seeing uh, Klingons in the Federation. Again. Hey. (laughs) I like it. Give it a roll. I like it. Well, uh, for me, I think the big thing of season four uh, will be the Stamets versus Captain Burnham. Uh, But I really have a feeling that they're going to wrap it up kind of quickly. And I think that Culber is going to be a major contributor to getting everything resolved. Um, And by the way, I also think that Admiral Vance will be back for me to praise every single week. Just saying. So, um, yeah, um, season's over. Um, Bye. (laughs) You're you're still here? Yeah, sorry. I haven't packed up my stuff yet. I got a box here ready to go. But Casey, um, we do have a next episode, as strange as that may sound. So what do we got coming up next week? Oh, man. 
Well, Sarah and I will be taking the week off to prepare for our special Season 3 wrap-up in a couple of weeks. But next week, Dan and Bill will be welcoming a very special guest to the show to talk about the season and the amazing contributions this person gave us in Season 3 of Discovery. You do not want to miss this! Until then, remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us where... Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by heading to discoveringtrek.com. Casey's got some deep-seated anger issues there over next week. I just want to point that out. Um, if you enjoy what we're doing here on Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Of course, as a subscriber, you can get access to the unedited recordings of episodes, as well as exclusive content and great subscriber rewards, like our annual supporters pins for our fans at our friends at Fansets, and I say that 10 times fast, and our exclusive Trek Geeks Podcast Network t-shirt, among so many other things. We want to take a moment to recognize the following amazing producers of Discovering Trek, and we are truly so thankful for their support. They are Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Ken Bird, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Craig Ewing, Al Godwin, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Tony Lambast, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. If you would like to become a producer of Discovering Trek or even get access to the raw audio for Discovering Trek episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. What a fun discussion. Yeah. Huh? Even, with, even with Casey here, it was awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Casey, actually, where can uh, people find you online if they want to tell you what a fantastic job you did? Because you did a fantastic job. Well, definitely not Parlor anymore. So I would say on Twitter, <laughs> at Casey Shafsky. That's it, babies. I don't even know what to say to that. Well, let's be clear. Casey was never on Parlor. Never. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's get that taken care of right now. Sarah, where may they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Trick Rewind. And Bill? I've never heard of any of you people before. <laughs> no, I can be found on the on the tweets machines at Trek Geek Bill. And unlike the free, leader of the free world, I actually still have a Twitter account. And of course, you can always find me milling about our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer, where there's uh, lots of great Star Trek discussion and no gatekeeping. Absolutely. Well, that's one of the things that we are so proud of over there at Camp Kittimer. No gatekeeping, no negativity. It's all positive. We love everybody over there, so come on over and join us. And uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at TrekGeekDan. And that is going to do it for this week and our discussion of Episode 13, That Hope Is You, Part 2. As Bill correctly pointed out in his long-range scan, 23 straight weeks of new Star Trek has come to an end. And what an amazing way to wrap things up. Season 4 really can't get here soon enough. As always, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to us talk about this amazing new chapter in the Star Trek universe each and every week. We really wouldn't be here without your support, and we thank you so very much. As Casey mentioned earlier, we'll be back next week with a very special guest, and we hope you'll join us. Until then, here are some words of wisdom from Mr. Spock. What happened before no longer exists. What will happen next has not yet been written. We have only now. That is our greatest advantage. And until next week, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.